This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. We have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Industrial IoT Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Make sure that you are heading to both Spotify and Apple Podcasts to subscribe to this podcast and get previous and upcoming episodes. I did mention this is the Industrial IoT Podcast. However, we did kind of combine some of our uh, different podcasts under one umbrella, which is now Market Scale Technology. So make sure you're subscribing to Market Scale Technology on Spotify and uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can also go to marketscale.com slash industries to listen to this episode other IoT episodes, and more broadly, just videos, podcasts, and articles from all of our different industries. All right, let's get into today's topic. So the world of wireless is really at a tipping point as several different technologies coalesce to bring us to that next generation of interconnectivity. New Wi-Fi spectrum is being opened up for unlicensed use, 5G infrastructure is on the way, and CBRS spectrum is uh, on the eyes of telecom players in the next FCC spectrum auction. All of these little movements are paving the way for next generation wireless at scale. So with today's conversation, we're getting a rundown on where this technology stands in the grand scheme of interconnectivity. We're getting a little more context on the technical improvements of all of these technologies and how far along their current iterations are. And we're going to be chatting about what the broader implications of 5G, CBRS spectrum, DAS, and more are on interconnectivity and IoT applications. I'd like to welcome our guest for the day, Lad Wimmer. He's a sales engineer at Tolaris, and Lad has over 20 years in sales, technical pre-sales, and cloud product development experience for several companies, including the world's largest Cisco reseller, IBM resellers, and some startups in the virtualization space. Really looking forward to getting Lad's insight on this. Lad, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Doing great, considering everything that's going on in the world today. (laughs) Yeah, that's always my first question nowadays to my guests. How are you holding up during, you know, this crazy pandemic time? Um, Have you been able to transition to work from home? Okay. What's your situation? Well, it's kind of funny. For the last 20 or so years, I've been uh, a home-based worker for the most part. Um, so proactive then. (laughs) Yeah. So now everybody else is doing what I've been doing for 20 years. So it's, it's, uh, I miss going out and seeing and being out with, with customers and stuff, but I'm surviving. I think just like everybody else. Well, that's good to hear. And yeah, you know, uh, we can only be thankful that, you know, there's still still employment chugging along and industries like yours and like mine, honestly, are able to adjust to work from home. So what's definitely supporting that is wireless connectivity. So now we're going to segue into the topic. Did you see how I did that there? Just some cl- classic segueing there. But yes, we're going to be chatting wireless technologies, uh, your experience in the industry really sets you up to give us um, some good historical context on this too, I think, at least from uh, you know some anecdotal perspectives of your work on wireless tech. Could you just give us a general overview of in the 20 years that you've uh, worked in, um, in sales for uh, basically the wireless world, 
how have you seen the technology improve and change and how has that affected the work you're doing? You know, when you're interacting with your clients and selling them on some of this technology, uh, how have the improvements around them and the use cases and uh, just the general applications for wireless tech change the way that you do your work? So if you go back 20 years ago, everybody was connecting to their infrastructure via a, a physical cable, whether it was um, a T1 line or whether it was some sort of connectivity option. Um, and there was a lot of infrastructure that had to be put in place in order to support um, being able to to connect that way. Um, and as you've seen, the technologies improved, particularly in the wireless spectrum. I mean, it, it initially it started with wireless access points and then um, obviously, cell phones was, were the first use case where a lot of this wireless technology um, was used. But now you're starting to see wireless being thought of as almost a, a lot of times as a backup connection right now. But people are starting to think about using it as a primary connection for their business. And with the, the new improvements in the 5G spectrum and how um, performance could approach that of a physical wire, um, the options or the the where somebody has to go out and build a lot of physical infrastructure to support um, connectivity that that's changed a lot and the type of applications that you can put on and run with it where um, back let's say in 4G networks and 3G networks you were you may be streaming some stuff maybe um, nowadays you see people with their cell phones are walking around they're able to stream applications and then the next generation you're going to be able to see all sorts of, of, of things come about. So it is definitely changed where um, the physical world where you had a lot of cables, you had a lot of work where putting all that together, um, it, it's changed into the world where now I don't have to worry about wiring my house for this or my operations or my business. Now, help us better understand how the technology uh, has evolved and gotten us to this stage in wireless development where we're on the cusp of 5G at scale. We're seeing several cities launch uh, IoT at scale, even without 5G. And, uh, you know, consumers excited about the next generation of Wi-Fi and the spectrum being opened up to uh, give more bandwidth to uh, kind of a, an already uh, struggling uh, digital infrastructure for wireless connectivity. So what has gotten us to this stage in wireless developments? Track some of those technology improvements and uh, some of the maybe pushes from different industries that have gotten the technology to this place because it's responding to specific use cases or needs. Well, so the big one right now, and you already mentioned it, is IoT has pushed a lot of it because in the past, the traffic that was was going over these networks, um, the speed and the 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 ability to um, advance the speed has gone up exponentially by people moving over from your traditional T1 networks, moving into MPLS networks, and then past MPLS networks. Now you're moving into networks where you're using different spectrum, and and we'll probably get into this a little bit more where we talk about the waves of the spectrum that are out there, um, going from um, uh, spectrum that goes longer distances to the millimeter wave spectrum that we have um, going into the next generation 5G capabilities where you get the performance where you can go up to gig or 10 gigs using the wireless spectrum. So um, being able to, to advance the fiber connectivity within the, the backbones of a lot of the carriers, that's kind of improved the ability to push that. And then um, obviously when you have to build out a lot of towers and stuff, um, that, that does that. And then 
right now you're seeing an, an enhancement or a growth in, in the small cell technology where you're taking, where today you see a lot of the, the cell towers out and about. You're starting to see operations where um, a small cell may look like your, your, your common everyday router that sits inside of an, an organization. And for 5G, you may actually need more of those just because of the limitations of distance on, some, on pieces of 5G, but you'll see more of those coming out. So um, just advances in the overall understanding of the connectivity, um, the enhancements in the, the part of spectrum that the FCC is opened up for licensing and for use. That's just given the capability of being able to expand out um, the types of, of applications you can now put on this. And um, the, one of the driving interests that you mentioned, the, fi the, the IoT, because of the sheer number of sensors that you can now put out there in the market, whether it's inside of your home or it's inside of a machine or it, it, pick your poison, um, the sensors could be just about anywhere and the things that you want to do with those sensors are all over the place. Um, there is kind of an exponential growth on potential used cases where you could take advantage of that. So having that additional spectrum does uh, quite a bit there. How does that affect the industry uh, to have most of the push for technological innovation come from um, you know, the, the use cases and the applications themselves? So you know, as uh, commercial end users find new needs for uh, interconnectivity, that then sort of pushes um, you know the the engineers, the specialists in the wireless world to continue to improve the technology to match those needs. Uh, what's some context on that kind of relationship or that kind of dynamic? How does that affect um, you know a company like Tolaris or some of your colleagues uh, or some of the OEMs in the industry? I'm just always interested in those kind of B two B relationships. So inevitably, um, when you start talking about technology, and I was actually listening to something the other day. Um, a lot of these things are, are, you have to start thinking about this three to four years in advance. So where you start hitting your technical limitation on specific technologies or cost limitations, there's always somebody in the market who's out to have, to build some sort of competitive advantage in the market. So they're trying to figure out, hey, can I take um, what I'm doing here? And what if I were to tweak this spectrum? Or what if I were to take, um, for example, these antennas that I'm putting up on my towers, uh, I, if I were to shrink them down and make them smaller, or what if I could make put multiples of these antennas or what's called a MIMO antenna, which is basically having a little bit, a bunch of these small cells compacted into a smaller space, um, giving you the capability to, to, to go and fill up a whole or, or do technology or do wireless connectivity to a whole building as opposed to a, a certain floor. So it, I think it's, one of those demand curves where you start seeing you're at the limits of your technology and then the new things that, that start coming around, like um, you, talk, you talk about VR, where people are talking about going and putting on goggles and being able to do something. And in the past, you would have to hook that thing up to maybe a computer or something like that. And now potentially when you, you think about 5G, um, you could put on one of these VR goggles and instead of having to look stuff up on Siri or YouTube or anything to do that, those VR goggles could help you do something. So you could be in a technology sector where you have to fix something. And instead of having to go look it up in a manual, you can actually see in the VR goggles. And so you think about the technology and what's out there in the next three to five years, um, that's where people are going. So you look at right now, what are people doing and how do I improve that? And I think it's just that 
continual, continual transition through that technology stack. This next generation of wireless technology uh, is primed to disrupt uh, wide area networks or WAN environments. What are, uh, I guess, the technologies that are most primed to disrupt uh, WAN environments, both positively and negatively? And why does it matter to be looking at how uh, you know interconnectivity is going to change some of the uh, classic technologies and uh, you know more broadly the business interests of uh, wide area network environments? So I go back and I think about the discussion that we've already talked about, about physical cabling and what was needed in order to do things. So there still is a need for that backbone connectivity and that WAN connection to everything will exist, I think, for a while, just because the fiber gets it there at speeds. Um, one of the problems that you see with, uh, with the next generation of 5G is when you get to like millimeter wave, um, which is the about 37 to 40 gigahertz or between 24 and 28 gigahertz uh, that it it doesn't travel very far so your big problem that you're having with 5g is specifically in that space is distance so you're still going to have that wan technology but when you get to the actual site where you 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 get your connectivity to a site now you may put up a small cell tower of your own or maybe you're you have a, a tower that goes on the roof or a satellite looking dish type thing that would go up on the the roof of a a house or a business that gives you that connectivity. And so in the past where I I went out and said, hey, I need 10 megs, um, and you had to wait for your telephone company to go do it. Now, some of those limitations kind of go away that I don't have to physically put anything there. I can can get the spectrum. It's there. Um, If you look at kind of some of the suppliers and what they're doing in the spectrum space, um, they've got the long distance spectrum that they're using. They've got some of the short distance and um, some of the newer things like CBRS that I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, CBRS is prime for building your own LTE connectivity inside of your site. So that takes some of those devices that are, were sitting on your Wi-Fi, um, sucking up space in your Wi-Fi, and now potentially you could make your own private LTE network inside of your site. So that gives you kind of security of, LTE without having to worry about what's going on in your Wi-Fi network. So those things can definitely disrupt not just WAN, but your overall technology stack that currently is being instituted inside of inside of organizations. So let me give you kind of an example. Um, I have a, a customer of ours that we're kind of working with right now where they, they run a business where it's timeshares, basically. And in that timeshare business, they have sites that are kind of in the middle of nowhere. And the big problem they're experiencing because they're in the middle of nowhere um, is the connectivity options they have are relatively limited. So um, they can get a connection into the site, but that connection isn't that great from a performance standpoint. Um, and also they're kind of distributed in buildings and what they're doing. And so one of the problems that they experience is in order to get this connectivity to all the sites, they have to do a wiring job that would cost millions of dollars to do it. And now. If you start thinking about the next generation of technology where now I don't have to physically wire building to building, I can put up a tower or I can bring in DAS or I can use CBRS um, to connect all my buildings and bring in the appropriate technology from a a 5G or CBRS or even DAS, any of those, um, or bring a single physical connection and then connect everything via this wireless transport. Now that business case that just went 
exponentially better for them because they don't have, they, they just reduce the amount of, of investment they need to put into that property. So um, it's, it's a place where you're going to see a lot of, of stuff going around. I think in, if you look at universities and kind of places that have spread out technology across that, where they've got these physical connections now, it, the whole world just changes. I'm glad you brought up some of those specific technologies like CBRS. We are now going to jump into uh, how those specific technologies are changing and impacting the next generation wireless uh, use cases and applications. I want to start with just 5G. I mean, I know it's it's the big one. It's not really that mysterious anymore. Um, but I, I think there is still some worthy conversation around the timeline and some of the implications of 5G at scale. So right now we're seeing major hotspots like Philadelphia, New York City, uh I guess, benefit from the effects of the T-Mobile Sprint merger. So they're starting to get uh, more 5G at scale. We're seeing it rolled out across the globe. China is uh, you know, barreling forward with their 5G rollout. And uh, with the Sprint-T-Mobile merger, uh, the outlook for uh, 5G across the nation now seems to be uh, accelerating, right? It, it's, it's getting here sooner and sooner. So what does that timeline for 5G at scale really look like uh, for the U.S. based on your experience and how you've seen the technology roll out? And what are the implications for when we finally get 5G at scale and we're all operating off of 5G wireless phones and, um, you know, just enjoying that benefit as consumers, but also uh, for businesses that utilize 5G for their interconnectivity? So 5G is kind of interesting just because 5G, it doesn't, so people have some misconception that 5G is 5G and it all means the same thing. Um, I think a lot of people kind of understand that there's differences in spectrum, but some people don't. So um, with T-Mobile, they've got kind of the interesting, interesting play where they, in order to enable as broad a, a, an amount of 5G spectrum as possible, they use the 600 megahertz spectrum. That 600 megahertz spectrum, it enables it to go a further distance or a longer distance. And the performance is, is roughly equivalent or a little bit better than what you would get with 4G. And I guess the big use case that you have with them taking advantage of that use case, it enables more people in more places. So we think about the big cities where you have 5G going in and they're talking millimeter wave or they're talking mid-band spectrum. Um, and that's that's where I think a lot of people put um, put a lot of emphasis on. But being able to enable those rural areas um, with spectrum um, where you traditionally didn't have that is probably the the biggest thing. Where you can take kind of those le underserved places and, and expand out that spectrum. Um, as far as rolling out in 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 larger metropolitan areas, I think what you're going to see is kind of a, a lot of movement to indoor spectrum. And when I say indoor spectrum, um, what I'm talking about is th the big problem with millimeter wave, and I think that's what you're getting from your, your AT&Ts and your Verizons, is they've got that spectrum, as does a T-Mobile and, and, uh, and uh, Sprint. Um, it, it's great from a speed perspective, but it doesn't traverse through walls and windows very well. So I think you'll start seeing a lot of private networks pop up using either LTE spectrum or they're using some other spectrum to take that outside that outside spectrum that you have coming in and be able to enable buildings. And so that's where I think CBR, CBRS starts to pop in and some of those other technologies from a, a 
where it is it, from a, a standpoint of building out, I think you're, you're starting to see larger cities being able to enabling this. I think in my mind, T-Mobile probably has the best play in general, just because they've got a lot of that, um, the 600 megahertz spectrum, but they picked up a lot of the Sprint's mid-band spectrum. So they are able to go more distance. They can, they can go some distance with the mid-band spectrum, but they also get the capability of going through walls and, and like, um, and the speed is higher on that mid-band spectrum. And then um, the the idea that they can t take their their high-band spectrum or the millimeter wave um, and enable cities is great. I think where you're going to see kind of the slowdown in a lot of this stuff is around the physical infrastructure that you need in order to support some of this. So if you're going out expecting the high-performance type things you still need a lot of the routers to be in place that will support that millimeter wave and you got to bring those routers indoors so it's companies like ericsson they've got their uh i think it's called a dot um where it, it basically looks like a smoke alarm where you put it up inside of a building and you enable a building and it's kind of like what das would do or the the antenna systems inside of the buildings um they would take that lte spectrum and they would get rid of dead zones inside of your business so as you do that more that enables that um i guess the other part of enabling the technology is um it 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 falls less on the carriers the carriers are kind of like here we'll get it to you and then the building owners or the people the enterprises that are doing that they're the ones who can enable that even more by kind of investing in small cells and putting in pieces and parts of these to to enhance the user experience inside of their building so from a time perspective i say we're probably still early at very early stages in my mind i think 5g um people think about it from a phone perspective but in reality that's what 4g was built for it was built for phone networks 5g with the performance character correct characteristics it's built for whatever's coming it's built for um virtual reality like i talked about it um, surgery is talked about a lot connected cars all those things are talked about um and so the use cases are kind of unlimited but there's kind of a build out that you it's going to be kind of a combination of getting the carriers um, to have the capability then that individual businesses bringing in some stuff to enhance what they're doing uh, in that realm. How accessible is that small cell technology going to be for businesses that need uh, more 5G infrastructure for their use cases? So, you know, let's say surgery, right? Um, those use cases are incredibly important and you know you can't have any kind of lapse in connectivity uh, especially if it's for some kind of uh, medical device that you know is is life-saving or is being used in the middle of of an important surgery or is maintaining um important uh, medical records as well right so how accessible is that small cell technology to improve that infrastructure for businesses that need deeper infrastructure? And how are they dealing with not only the capital investment, but also some of the aesthetic concerns of, uh, you know, I know it's not that important uh, when you consider uh, maybe some of the potential benefits you'd get from the technology, but with with the need for closer range on uh, 5G tech, that means there's going to be more hubs and often those hubs are going to need to be a little lower they're going to be uh at least at at eye level or uh within view and they can't be quite as tall uh or as obscured as 
some of the 4G cellular infrastructure. So how are they grappling with capital investments and some of the aesthetic concerns as well, if there are any? So um, if you you kind of talk about it from two perspectives, so there's the external view of what we're all seeing and the, the... the towers that are up there that are transmitting it, th- those will continue to stay. And I don't necessarily think um, that will change that much because what happens is you're running a fiber connection or multiple fiber connections to that tower and then it's transmitting that signal. Um, where I think you're going to see the difference coming on, and this is more from an aesthetics perspective, is a lot of the antennas will either sit on the side of a building and then you're going to have a connection to inside of the building. So inside of the building, um, Going back to your use case of a hospital, you're going to see these small, like the Ericsson dots, that these things, that they look like a smoke alarm and they'll be put in places um, throughout the, the hospital to provide kind of that extension of that millimeter band. Um, so you'll have the capability of getting it to the building and then you'll use the building in there. So um, I think all of the all of the, the carriers, they're grappling with um, they're grappling with the cost of this, but I don't think it, that's slowing any of them down because they know that the first one in is probably going to be the market leader. So as you kind of look at, at the the land grab, if you look at AT&T and Verizon, they talked about their 5G networks earliest, um, regardless of how good they were, regardless of speed or anything, because it was a land grab for them. Um, where T-Mobile, uh, they came in with, hey, I've got the largest uh, the largest network um, and I'm going to get that in as quick as possible. Um, that was kind of, I think, a brilliant move because now you, you're thinking long. You're thinking I've got, I'm cover the whole country now. Um, I've got 5G. You know, regardless of speeds and feeds and all that, that that's another story. But as far as capital expenditures, um, it's going to be. I mean, it's a it's a long process to get this all out there and. Going back to kind of what I said about T-Mobile, their investment in kind of that that spectrum in the 600 megahertz range, that gives them kind of the advantage to say, I've got the whole country where I've got connectivity to. So now I've enabled the whole country. Um, and the actual investment in that wasn't as, uh, as great. I guess the other thing that, is, that I find kind of interesting as I listen to what's going on in the space is instead of using these kind of physical devices that we all think about where you see a towers and you see things up on towers, a lot of the, the carriers are talking about using um, S- software-defined networking or software-defined infrastructure where the things that they're building are they're putting it inside of software as opposed to a physical asset so that they can take that software and as the next generations of, of technology come out, they can upgrade that. So they, they can have a CBRS network that's upgradable to 5G um, just by changing software. So I think a lot of them are, are using kind of those design technologies or, or philosophies that if I, if I take what I'm doing and I kind of um, build it all in software, then it's just an upgrade for me to get to the next generation without necessarily having to to do a lot of the physical infrastructure. But capital costs are there. Um, and like I said a little bit earlier, I think it's going to be a little bit, uh, you're going to see a little bit of uh, of reutilization of existing assets to kind of take advantage of, of that as while well. they're building out the other. But definitely small cell or the small cells, um, I think it could be possible in the future when you get a, a cell phone service coming to your house where it, it could potentially be replacing cable. You get a cell phone modem or a, a 5G modem as opposed to a, a cable modem in order to do that. Um, so 
um, I think it's an interesting space right now. Another important technology that is supporting uh, not only 4G, which obviously already exists uh, at scale, but also incoming 5G networks is a CBRS technology. Uh, I know carriers are very interested in this spectrum to extend 5G networks as they're rolled out at scale. Can you give us some of the technical uh, context on how CBRS technology supports 5G and what are some of the specific uh, use cases that will benefit the most from having CBRS as a support to 5G spectrum? Yeah, so CBRS, um, from a spectrum standpoint, it's it stands at the 3.4, 3.5 gigahertz to, uh, if I remember right, it's 3.75, I think it, it goes, it's 150 megahertz that the the government's look opening up for auction later this, this year. Um, and there's actually part, multiple bands in that. So originally this spectrum was used for government installations. It was used for naval uh, installations, um, sonar used, it, that type of thing. Um, and the government has kind of given up some of that spectrum in order to, to open up bandwidth there. Um, and so that spectrum, it's valuable from the 5G perspective because it is faster than the other spectrums. Um, and there's two pieces to that. There's kind of a, a private spectrum that is the stuff that's coming up for auction um, here at the, uh, it's kind of a bit of a moving target. I think it's now up to June or July where they're doing the, the actual spectrum there. Um, but there's also some free spectrum so that people can actually take advantage of that. And I guess the one problem with that free spectrum is, is making sure that it's not being used for a government purpose. It's not being used by somebody else. And so there's an institute or a, 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 a organizer or a body um, that they're in charge of making sure that it's your spectrum. And so one of the advantages of that spectrum is if you get a piece of it, or if you're using a piece of it, it becomes private spectrum that you can take advantage of. So large organizations um, that have multiple sites or um, big hotels or stadiums or um, just large buildings, being able to put CBRS inside of those, inside of those use cases, um, I think that's a big one that you're going to see people looking to put that in. And one of the advantages to that CBRS is it, it, it gives kind of that added bandwidth. It gives it kind of a private LTE feeling to a company. And so somebody who institutes this, they can actually take and have people who roam onto their CBRS network. Um, so for example, MGM Graham, they're, in, they're implementing it right now. They've got things in place where potentially if somebody roams onto their network, they could build back the carrier for that, for using that CBRS spectrum. Um, and that's kind of nice from the, their, uh, their standpoint, because they can make incremental revenue based off of that. But if you think about that, you could also look at some of your, um, your regional carriers or some of your smaller carriers um, for, for rural areas where they could take advantage of that spectrum, bring it in, um, and have kind of a, their own little ISP where they're doing that. So very, very interesting. So um, the three types of spectrum I already talked about, naval, naval radars, fixed wireless. Um, the, the priority access spectrum is what it's called. So priority, priority access licensing, that's going to be um, available for auction. And, and the big carriers are looking at that as potentially another piece of spectrum that they can use for, for individual opportunities. Um, Currently available is uh, generally authorized access spectrum, which gives people 
um, individuals, um, corporations, the capability of taking that. Um, and the, one of the big advantages of this is unlike um, Wi-Fi that, that a lot of people have in their house, um, the security on it is, is definitely different than that. It's, it's a much more secure platform. Uh, the latency on it is, is severely less than you might see on that. And one of the things, one of the problems that you have with Wi-Fi is the more people you get on a Wi-Fi inside of an organization, the, the more chances that you have of reducing the bandwidth where in a, a CBRS um, instance, that bandwidth actually, um, that bandwidth, um, or the latency of that is not affected by the number of people on there. So one of the things that I saw just recently is um, having 50,000 IOT devices that are attached to a single piece of the spectrum without having issues of latency. So somebody who's in the business of, of monitoring and managing like a manufacturing plant who has a lot of, a lot of things coming in and out and, and they're monitoring a lot of things, um, it could be a really good play for them to take advantage of some of that spectrum. Um, and, and honestly, CBRS, it fits into part of the 5G spectrum. So technically it's a piece of that spectrum, um, but it, it gives that capability, like I said, of creating your own private network. So you, you can do what you want with it. You can, you're, you're, you're the master of your own domain with it. All right, lad, final point here. Uh, often there are some myths around fresh technologies, especially at scale. Um, within the industry, I'd say probably not so much. You know, obviously folks that are familiar with 5G and the use cases um, aren't going to, you know, really have that much confusion around where it's going to be useful. But I think for some of the businesses that are looking to 5G to support maybe some existing um, networked infrastructure or businesses that are wanting to capitalize on small cell 5G for the first time and bringing that connectivity into their business. What are some myths that are persistent in the industry that you hear from clients and from end users that you think need clarification and, uh, you know, by clarifying them will help better support them actually using this technology moving forward once it is at scale? So uh, there's a couple that I hear pretty consistently so the talk of not being able to to go through windows and doors and and the ability to weather affecting it and all those are true but it just depends on what band of the technology that you're using so having giving them an understanding of how that works and where it fits um, will help them better understand what piece of that spectrum is most important to them and how to use it and to take better advantage of it if you are looking at 5G, uh, there may be some infrastructure that you may want to put inside of your, your buildings to kind of help that along. Um, you can get it so far with, with the carrier, but as you bring stuff into the building, that, that will enable you to, to do that. The other one that I've heard um, a few times on 5G is around the health concerns around 5G. Um, in fact, my wife the other day asked me, what have you heard about 5G? I hear it kills bees. Um, <laughs> and the, the, I think with a lot of new technologies, you kind of have to figure out um, what's truth and myth. And I always ask, where did you get your source? Was that, did you just right. re read that on Facebook? Um, there, I think that's part of the health concerns and risks are still unknown within this sector. But as we're kind of reading through some of the, the documentation there, um, the types of frequencies that, that they admit or the ultraviolet 
um, frequencies that cause problems in humans are not the type that are used inside of 5G. But like any technology, we have only have a small subset of people that are actually using the technology. So now we kind of have to figure out if you have it at scale and if you have multiples of these things, what does happen? So like any new tech technology, there may be effects that we don't know of yet and have to keep um, getting an understanding. So maybe um, just keep your eyes and ears peeled in that way. But um, just a lot of what they're going to have to do is they architect these things. It's actually architect. It's not, hey, I'm going to put this thing in and it's going to work and we're going to be happy. It's talking, sitting down, talking about your use cases, talking about what you're doing with there to see if, does it fit to have um, CBRS here as opposed to a 5G connection? Or should I just use the traditional DAS stuff? Should I just put in DAS? Um, should I wait on these things? Uh, that's a one that I get quite a bit is if I wait, uh, is 5G going to be better in two years? Well, yeah, it's going to be better in two years. And um, But is there going to be a new technology in five, six years? Yeah, probably. Um, and it's one of those things where you kind of have to sit down and say, where is my business? Does this make sense for what I'm doing as a business? And are my use cases where they need to be that, that I can take advantage of that? And I think as you go through those discussions, it will become apparent as you architect with your customers, um, what is appropriate for their business. Right now, you're seeing uh, the devices starting to appear that support and do this. Um, part of your problem that you're having with new technologies is, is you have to have devices that are able to use that. I think as, as this becomes more um, well-established and advanced, you're going to see more devices. And there are a significant amount of providers that are putting um, modems together, uh, bridges, MiFi's, gateways, um, handhelds, laptops. Right now, in the 5G spectrum, there's only a handful of, a handful of phones that will support um, 5G. Um, and one of, the, one of the problems with 5G is not all carriers are using the same spectrum of 5G. So you have to have handsets that potentially could support multiple types of spectrum. So a lot of those, a lot of those um, as devices become more advanced and they figure those out, I think that will accelerate things as well. Okay, Lad Wimmer, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, giving us this full detailed breakdown on the technology and the use cases for the next generation of wireless interconnectivity. Again, Lad Wimmer is a sales engineer at Tolaris. Lad, I appreciate the insights. Uh, if folks want to find out a little bit more about how Tolaris fits into uh, this broader rollout for next generation wireless technologies, where can they go to learn more about Tolaris or about you? So um, you can go to Tolaris.com. Um, Tolaris is a master agent. So what that actually means is we have relationships with about 200 or so vendors. So we get a little bit of a view of everything in the industry. Um, so Tolaris.com will show you the suppliers that we use. Um, I can be reached at LinkedIn. You can uh, check out my profile at LinkedIn. I think it's Ladwimmer. Uh, just go look for my profile there. Um, and I, if people want to reach out to me directly, I can provide my information for that as well. Perfect. Lad, take it easy. Thank you so much for your insights today on the podcast. All right. Appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you go to marketscale.com slash industries for all of our articles, videos, and podcasts, not just from this industry, but from all of our different industries. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So make sure you're doing that and leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Take it.
until next time.